Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. One of our scholars and her colleagues have been honored by the American Society for Testing and Materials Journal of Advances in Civil Engineering Materials. Dr. Mina Mohebi, an assistant professor of civil engineering who earned her doctorate at Penn State, is co-recipient with two Penn State professors of the 2019 Outstanding Article Award. Their article is about determining how much unburned carbon content is in fly ash, a byproduct of power plants that use coal. This matters because fly ash is a key ingredient in concrete an academic study that has implications for both business and the environment after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. With interest at or near an all-time high in the burgeoning craft beer market, MTSU will be hosting industry representatives and the general public for the Tennessee Craft Beer and Spirit Distilleries International Sales Opportunities Forum. The event, which is free, will be held from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Thursday, August 29th at MTSU's Miller Education Center Atrium. The forum is for current or first-time exporters looking to expand their markets. And three of the original sororities to establish chapters at MTSU celebrated milestones this spring with a series of special events. The Epsilon Tau chapter of Alpha Delta Pi, Zeta Theta chapter of Chi Omega, and the Delta Pi chapter of Kappa Delta National Sororities brought current members and alums together to commemorate their founding and fellowship with sisters old and new. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Mina, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. You and your colleagues tested something called a thermogravimetric analysis to measure the amount of unburned carbon that remains in fly ash after the coal is burned. So what is TGA and how does it work? Uh, Well, uh, TGA is one of the material characterization techniques that we generally use to analyze different type of materials and powders which are used as beneficial applications in concrete or other applications like structural fields, uh, mineral uh, and mining applications. So uh, when we put a material in TGA, the thermogravimetric analysis device, which could be coupled and paired with uh, mass spectrometry, uh, which gives us more accurate uh, results, we can kind of monitor the off-gassing and the chemical reactions that happens uh, during this thermal uh, analysis. We can find out what type of reactions happens Uh, So from there, we find out what phases or what uh, mineral phases exist in that type of material we are studying. For example, the fly ash. So we're looking for how much exactly unburned carbon exists in fly ash. And in order to find it out, uh, we need to know what phases exist in fly ash and at what temperatures each phase start to decompose. So we can separate all those reactions from the unburned carbon uh, reactions. And by that separation, which was the main purpose of that study, we can exactly measure how much unburned carbon exists in the fly ash. Now, the traditional method is loss on ignition, or LOI. So how is the thermogravimetric analysis superior to the loss on ignition method? 
Mm-hmm, yeah. So the the conventional method, which you mentioned, the loss on ignition, is not an accurate uh, method. It's a conventional one. Is the is the method uh, which the industry uses the most. But this study revealed that it's not the most precise method because LOI measures all the uh, chemical reactions like the carbonate decompositions, the water decompositions, both the physical and chemical water inside the fly ash. So the total weight loss that we measure in LOI is actually the combination of all these weight losses. And just one portion is related to the unburned carbon. So what the two atmosphere TGA or thermogravimetric analysis does is that we separate these reactions in two different atmosphere. The first one is the non-oxidizing atmosphere, like the helium atmosphere, which burns down all the material or the carbonates and decomposition of the water. But because it's a non-oxidizing environment, the unburned carbon uh, will not burn in that environment. Then we switch to an oxidizing atmosphere, which is basically the air, and heat up the fly ash again to up like uh, 750 degrees C. In that environment, the only material which will burn is the unburned carbon. So we can measure the weight of the reactions in the second environment. That gives us the more accurate amount. We have found that LOI has uh, overestimated the amount of unburned carbon uh, up to 6.4. So the TGA method will be more and more accurate than the LOI. Now, uh, this is important for the concrete industry because fly ash is used in making concrete or making cement. Why is it important for there to be a, a... little or no unburned carbon in the concrete. So uh, fly ash can improve uh, some properties of the concrete like the sustainability, durability, and workability of the fresh concrete. That's the positive side. But uh, if we want to use the fly ash in concrete, it should meet some requirements in terms of the composition and the quality. And one of those parameters that we should check in fly ash is the unburned carbon because it can interrupt the some uh, properties of the fresh concrete, like the rheology of the fresh concrete, and also it affects the air entrainment properties of the concrete, like the freeze and thaw, specifically in the winter. So we should make sure that the concrete, the fly ash we use in concrete has high quality. Otherwise, the produced concrete will not be the one that we need in different Mm -hmm. conditions. Now, given the results of your study, has this caused the fly ash industry to reassess the standards that it sets for the uh, uh, degree of unburned carbon in fly ash? Uh, that's pretty much the goal of this study. So we hope that these this new results that we found specifically how more accurate the thermogravimetric analysis could be uh, can finally lead in the uh, like um, optimal protocol or testing protocol that the governing specification standards like the ASTM and other institutions can apply because currently ASTM puts a limit of 6% unburned carbon in fly ash in order to be used in concrete. And that 6% is basically measured by LOI. So if we find a good fly ash that has a 6% LOI but basically has a lower percent of unburned carbon measured by TGA, 
that fly ash is like an otherwise good fly ash which was excluded from the market because of high LOI but basically we could use that fly ash so by this uh, logic we hope that the standards could be modified by more by more uh, using more accurate methodologies like TGA but that's not your job. It's up to the fly ash industry to figure (laughs) that out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Mina Mohebi, who is an assistant professor of civil engineering, and a study that she and two of her colleagues did, which won uh, the 2019 Outstanding Article Award from the Journal of Advances in Civil Engineering Materials. It's all about how much unburned carbon content is in fly ash and a better way of assessing that. Why hasn't TGA been used all along if it's a more uh, accurate way to assess the amount of unburned carbon in fly ash. How did you come upon this particular type of analysis to improve upon the method of assessing it? And I guess what I'm getting to is why hadn't they been using TGA all along? One reason is that LOI is a very simple test to do. You need an oven to put the fly ash in it, heat it up, to a specific temperature and then measure how much weight loss occurred. But in TGA is actually a more sophisticated uh, testing and analysis because you need to analyze the heating process, monitor the heating process and see at what temperatures how much weight loss occurs. So you need some some more uh, sophisticated systems to measure those weight loss and see the graphs that shows the temperatures versus the weight loss and then analyze that. Uh, so because of this uh, weight loss happens at that temperature, this is probably like the carbonate decomposition. This is probably the Portlandite decompositions. And this is the temperature that water loss happens. And specifically when you pair the TGA analysis with mass spectroscopy, which gives you the elements or the compounds that were released at the time of off-gassing, it turns it into a more complicated uh, methodology. But we use this methodology as a part of science and research study to find out all the reactions which happen during the fly ash heating. And at the final stage, we suggested a more simplified methodology after finding out the results of TGA. And that more simplified methodology was heating up the fly ash in a non-oxidizing atmosphere to get rid of all the other reactions except carbon burning, and then continuing with the conventional LOI tests. 
which gives us the same result. We just remove all other chemical reactions, not interrupting with the unburned carbon. Is the simplified methodology less expensive than if you were to use TVA without simplifying it? Uh, again, the, the cost of it is not your problem, but from the industry's point of view, mm-hmm. is it more costly to use the more complicated, sophisticated method? The only thing, the additional uh, item that we need for that suggested methodology is providing a non-oxidizing atmosphere, which could be the nitrogen or helium. So it, it's doable in the industry labs because the only thing they need is that burning the fly ash in a non-oxidizing atmosphere, providing a tank of helium or nitrogen beside the LOI oven, and then when the fly ash is burnt in that environment, just removing it from the non-oxidizing atmosphere, putting it in the oven, and doing the rest of the process as they did before. So it would actually be a cost-effective in, uh, investment for the uh, fly ash industry to move to this simplified TGA method. Yeah, I guess it, it will because uh, in that case, we know that because of the power plant closures, mm-hmm. uh, there is a shrinkage in the amount of fly ash which is available for the construction industry mm-hmm. and the ever-increasing demand for the fly ash and other byproducts to be used uh, to be substituted with the Portland cement because of the cost and because of the like the embodied energy and CO2 footprint of uh, concrete, then it would uh, be uh, it would be forced to just do that to a step test so otherwise good fly ash could stay in the market and be used in the construction as well. I'm wondering, uh, in, in recent years, because of complaints by environmentalists, uh, the coal-burning power plants, especially uh, you know the ones that are owned by the Tennessee Valley Authority, have been forced to uh, implement or add scrubbing equipment uh, to reduce the amount of uh, particulates in the air. Has that had any effect whatsoever on the fly ash, or is that irrelevant? Yeah, the the fly ash actually collecting the fly ash from the particulate matter collection from the flue gas uh, is kind of an environmental force on the power plant uh, industry. It, it They added, uh, after the Clean Air Act, uh, issuance, uh, they added like the so, uh, separating other materials than the particulates, like the sulfur emissions, the nitrogen emissions, and so on, which could produce other byproducts like the gypsum. They also have some applications in agricultural stuff and so on. So fly ash is the basic material which is separated from the flue gas, but it's not the only material, the only byproduct. We have the bottom ash slag and uh, gypsum, as I mentioned, which could be separated from the flue gases. And as I mentioned, there are beneficial applications for those materials in concrete uh, in mixture with fly ash or separately in agricultural applications. So, yeah, I think those environmental acts that have been uh, in power uh, since like 30, 40 years ago uh, has been effective in just uh, making the environment cleaner and providing some byproducts that could be beneficially used in different applications like the concrete mining activities and so on. 
What was it like working on this project for, for you and your colleagues? Your colleagues are uh, a professor at Penn State and a professor emeritus at, at Penn State. And I'm wondering if this was your doctoral dissertation in, in, in point of fact. And just describe what it was like for all of you to work on this particular project. Yeah, so uh, it was an interesting project because we collaborated with a a couple of uh, power plant companies in Pennsylvania who were interested to find out the beneficial applications for huge amount of uh, fly ash and other byproducts that they Mm -hmm. uh, were producing in Pennsylvania and Ohio. So Mm -hmm. they funded this research project, the Pennsylvania Coal Ash Research Group, or PCARG, and I was working, I was a member of that group uh, as a researcher with my PhD advisor, Dr. Fashal Rajabipur, and Dr. Barry Schitz, who was my co-advisor. So we started to find out fly ash properties. We started material characterization, and we wanted to find out, firstly, how this fly ash would act in concrete, including that unburned carbon, how we can deal with it. And the second part of my research study, which was not mentioned in the awarded paper, was about the leaching properties of fly ash in mine lab. Can you tell us a little bit about the leaching properties, even though it wasn't part of the paper? Yeah, so uh, after we did the material characterization part, which was actually started with physical and chemical characterization and continued by more sophisticated uh, analysis testing like the scanning microscopy, uh, scanning electron microscopy, and also the XRD X-ray diffraction and some other TGA analysis, uh, we were uh, interested in finding out if we deposit a huge amount of fly ash in mine lands to reclimate the mine lands and to kind of uh, decrease the environmental effects of mining activities in the coal mine lands, what happens in like 30 years or 40 years from now in terms of leaching heavy metals and trace elements from fly ash? Because we know when the coal is burnt in the boiler, uh, the trace elements are kind of concentrated in the particulates we know as fly ash. So the concentration of trace elements in fly ash is sometimes even much higher than the coal itself. So when the fly ash is exposed to Uh, water to rainwater during the times specifically close to groundwater levels, there is a high chance for those trace elements to be washed out from fly ash particles and enter the groundwater uh, stream. Uh, So we wanted to know how this leaching process happened. Uh, We used both the experimental uh, leaching columns And also we did some prediction using the reactive transport modeling uh, to find out how this uh, washing out process at early stages followed by uh, long-term leaching properties would affect the environment of uh, fly ash deposits. Either it's a monofill or it's mixed with other byproducts. So, as you know, we've had our problems with coal ash spills in the state of Tennessee. Uh, could This could have possibly harmful effects for our, grand, our groundwater, depending upon the composition of the ash, correct? 
Yeah, so the the Kingston accident was actually a huge environmental problem at that time, and it 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 can happen for any fly ash deposits if it's exposed to uh, water, rainwater, or even if huge uh, volumes of fly ash is actually deposited in the ponds, and if those ponds are actually adjacent to residential areas, so it can happen for any power plants in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that could cause serious environmental problems. One, there are some regulations uh, for these deposits, how far they should be from the groundwater uh, level if we want to deposit the fly ash in mine lands. But even when we uh, meet those requirements, like how far the deposits are from the groundwater, there is a still a chance for those trace elements to be leached out. There are some uh, trace elements and chemicals that are deposited on the surface of fly ash particles, and those material could be washed out easily and fast while the fly ash is exposed to water. Uh, because, you know, fly ash are like glass particles with some materials or compounds on the surface. Mm-hmm. And some of those trace elements are entrapped inside the glass particles. And with time, uh, like 30 years, 40 years from now, when the glass start dissolving, then those trace elements might be released to the groundwater and the uh, environment. So the, the issues are not just immediate, but long-lasting, potentially. Exactly. Yeah. So what we did was uh, designing uh, a predicting model, a predicting reactive model, which considers both the chemical reactions and transport phenomena, like the dispersion uh, and uh, uh, advection. So how those trace elements could be released or uh, dissolved from the fly ash and how they could transfer, they could migrate from where they are to the groundwater in 30 years was the purpose of that modeling. And we found out that, yes, in uh, the model showed us that in 30 years or 25 years from now, there is an increasement in the content of trace elements, which shows it's a gradual process. Uh, it's not just the immediate effect, but we should think of what happens uh, like in 30 or 40 years or more from now. And for this particular uh, research project, since you were in Pennsylvania, which is coal country to be sure, you uh, you did not lack for substance with which to uh, uh, conduct your research. Uh, yeah, uh, they actually generously, those companies that I mentioned, I worked with on that research, they provided a sufficient amount of fly ash and gypsum from their power plants. Uh, and yeah, we just uh, provided the representative samples from those buckets they sent us, both the different classes of fly ash, actually class F and class C fly ashes from mm-hmm. their power plants. Yeah, and we basically worked on those samples from the power plants. And these particular classes of fly ash, are those federal government regulated designations or are those company designations? Who sets those standards over? determine the classifications of the fly ash? The classifications are actually according to ASTM. So we we, we work with ASTM classifications. And And, and ASTM stands for? Society for Testing and Materials. American Society for Testing and Materials. So it's the the organization's classifications. Yes. So depending on the component of different oxides in the fly ash, for example, how much 
uh, silicon oxide, how much aluminum oxide and other oxides exist in that specific type of fly ash, they have different classifications. And the fly ash we've worked with were mostly the class F fly ash, uh, which is the bituminous and subbituminous uh, derived from bituminous and subbituminous coal, but there are some other classifications. So you well. worked strictly with that. You didn't work with anthracite coal. And anthracite coal is something is specifically found in the Pennsylvania, uh, the FBC ash. I did some research on FBC ash leaching as well, mm-hmm. uh, and also some of my colleagues are still doing projects at Penn State on using FBC ash in concrete which is not a conventional type of fly ash to be used in concrete. Right. Yeah, my research was mostly focused on class F, but I did some uh, studies on FBC ash, uh, which is uh, obtained from anthracite palms uh, in Pennsylvania. Yes. Bituminous is the soft coal and anthracite is the hard coal. Yeah, anthracite uh, is like the highest rank of coal, followed by bituminous and subbituminous mm-hmm. coal. And uh, the, the lowest rank is actually the lignite, which is not, the fly ash from lignite cannot be used in concrete. We'll take another break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle East-centered MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Mina Mohebi, an assistant professor of civil engineering uh, here at MTSU. With two colleagues at Penn State, she worked on a research study of how to better assess the amount of unburned carbon content in fly ash, which is used in concrete. Have uh, you had any discussions with the folks in our own concrete industry management program about the results of your study? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, actually we started thinking about uh, submitting some proposals with the concrete management department and Dr. Heather Brown uh, because in Tennessee, at the Tennessee Department of Transportation is also interested in some types of projects very similar to that type of project using the byproducts, the industrial byproducts like the fly ash and gypsum in concrete. So we were thinking just how we can build up the new research study is based on uh, using fly ash in concrete and how uh, measuring the properties like the unburned carbon. And there are some other properties that are important when we want to use the fly ash in concrete, like the shrinkage properties and so on. So, yeah, that, that could be a very interesting topic for the future research studies at MTSU. Dr. Mina Mohebi, Assistant Professor of Civil Engineering. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your time. We'll be right back. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, 
helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. Convocation for new freshmen helps usher in the start of a new MTSU academic year. Tara Westover, author of Summer Reading Selection, Educated, a memoir, is this year's speaker. Honors College Dean John Vile is on the Summer Reading Selection Committee and shares more about Westover's appearance. Uh, She was raised by a survivalist group in Idaho, didn't get medical treatment, didn't go to school, uh, but developed her own interests in reading and math and whatever, was able to get into Brigham Young University, recently earned a PhD at Yale. I am told by people who have heard her and people who have read her book, she's very, very inspirational and she's you know, relatively young, I'd say probably under 30, so I think she'll be a good match for incoming freshmen. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU On The Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.